you buy the systems, not only the people, you buy like the whole asset, the funnels, the sales strategies, the inbound marketing strategies. If you buy the website, you buy the social media. So that's uh, all included in the, into the price. Hi, and welcome to the Code and Conquer podcast. Today, we're talking to an expert in building and selling SaaS businesses. I have invited Ilias Ism to talk to us about building his HR SaaS officiant, scaling it up to 30 employees and 20,000 customers, and eventually selling it in an acquisition. We also discuss his work on climate and sustainability projects like Bank Green and Extinction Rebellion, as well as his current venture, Magic Space, where he helps other founders with SEO and online visibility. I hope you enjoy this episode and let's jump right in. And welcome to the 11th episode of the Code and Conquer podcast. That's hard to pronounce as a German. My name is Tobias Avela and today my guest is Ilias Ism, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I hope. Yeah, that's um, good. <laughs> perfect. Uh, introduce yourself. Who are you and what are you doing? Yeah, I'm uh, Elias. I'm nearby Germany in uh, Switzerland, and uh, we run a marketing agency together with um, my co-founder. We try to get businesses to a better level in their search result and traffic. Before that, I was an indie hacker. I've always been working in like SaaS or like programming, making a lot of different projects, and even right now, I'm working on plenty of things at the same time like we always do in indie hacking. How did you break into the world of SaaS and indie hacking? Like what was your first steps in your career and how did you end up going for the indie hacking route? I started freelancing when I graduated. So I was working like for people and as a self-employed person and I was helping them with like uh, their websites in general. After a while, someone who I was freelancing for, he told me, hey, we should start a business together. And instead of saying, okay, I'll bill per hour, I said, okay, okay, I just want shares. And then we started working together as a bootstrapped, 100% bootstrapped uh, self-funded company. And then we grew our startup over the, over the years. So that was the very, the first big project. But before that, mm -hmm. I was always making like apps on the side just to like learn stuff. Where before even I was freelancing, I was making stuff like online. I was making like Chrome extensions and Firefox plugins just when the Chrome web store was, re was released. So I was one of the first few people on the Chrome store. I didn't capitalize, capitalize on it so much because I was only like 15 years old, but I made like a Chrome extension for like chess. So you could play like open a pop-up in, in your browser and play like chess. Then I made like a Flickr puzzle. So it would take like the top five Flickr images uh, that were popular and it would make a little puzzle out of them. And then you had to like do like a jigsaw puzzle where you move them around to like fit, fit back into the image. And then other extensions that followed, for example, like you could see the weather radar and so on. And I started learning a bit more about HTML, like programming in general, and started just getting better. After a while, I got interested into WikiHow. So WikiHow is like the how-to uh, manual for the internet. It has like by now hundred thousands of millions of articles. And, you know, 10 or 15 years ago or however, however long it was, I made one of their first Chrome extensions, which you as a Wikipedia editor or WikiHow editor could use it to see the amount of 
new articles that were posted on the platform. So every time a new article is posted, someone has to check if it's like valid, if it's spam, if it's like random links or bullshit. So it would tell you like the the amount of the amount of new articles that were waiting to be controlled. So you would get like a little weather icon in your Chrome uh, toolbar, and it would show you like a sun or like a rainy cloud or like a thunderbolt to to show other editors as a decentralized force to say, okay, we need more people helping. And that was one of the first bigger extensions that I made, and it was used by like hundreds of people at GitHub. I became like an administrator and everything. I think I got like 20,000 articles edited and so on. So it was one of my first starts of internet stuff. After that, I got more into like Reddit. I was always reading it in my free time. So one of the first things that I saw that was fun to learn was a music player for it. See, it would take, for example, if you take a separate like music or listen to this or atmospheric drum and bass or like dubstep or whatever the genre is, it would generate like a YouTube playlist for you. So for example, you would get, if you take, for example, a separate like music, you take the top 20 posts, it has all links to like YouTube or SoundCloud or Vimeo, and it would collect them into a playlist and show you like a way of playing them all together. So it would show you like the the video on the top and it would play one and then play the next song play the next one and so on so instead of like being on reddit and opening one by one it would actually auto play all these songs one after mm-hmm. the other so that became like the biggest project it were it was it went live it immediately went like super viral i posted on the internet is beautiful that was about eight years ago and it hit like top post of the week then it hit like top post of the month it got like 200,000 views in like a week. And then it was like the front page of Reddit. So not only in the subreddit, but like the entire front page. So you could go like slash R slash all, and it would just be the top post for for that month. So then it went live to like Product Hunt as well. It went, it got picked up by like Newswire. So it went on uh, the next web. It got, uh, it went on to Business Insider, Lifehacker, and so on. So that was one of my first bigger indie, indie hacker projects. But I never made money out of that because it was fully open source and I didn't realize you could still make money with internet stuff. So I, and I never got like, I never add payments to it. So still to this day, it's 100% free and open source. But how did that feel? Like you already, like you started with very, very small projects that were free, that were extensions. You kind of learned coding with them. But then you had this like first project that was really big and and successful and how did that feel for you at, at this point you were also still pretty young right yeah i didn't graduate i didn't enter college yet it felt interesting like i was always busy in my free time like coding this making like some projects and this was like exciting obviously because i started hosting it on like my own vps and i used like the very new newest tech which was back then like ExpressGS and uh, MongoDB <laughs> and Redis, everything that she also like had to learn herself. But things were a little bit different because it was not so easy to host things, right? Like on, mm-hmm. there was no Verso, there was no uh, other similar systems like this. So I, I I was hosting like on my own private server for like $5 per month or something. <laughs> and it never went down, which is good because mostly I was using like some caching 
like Cloudflare, I think, just existed. So I was routing all this out there traffic through there. But it was it was a very exciting. Now, like it was like a good way to prove all the things that I learned. It was really worth it, and it was nice to see people using it because in the comments, everyone was like praising it, right? Because they were like, "This is so mm-hmm. cool. This is really nice." They were asking how I made it. They said, "Wow, it's it's not crashing and it's on the front page. It's an achievement in itself." Um, so it was very very fun. And because of that, I was always able to show it as like a portfolio item. So I got hired pretty quickly as a freelancer. I started working with with some people who were more into Reddit. One of them is uh, Brian Switchko, and he hired me to work on on some of his Chrome extensions and some of his platforms. And after a while, it always became easier to get like good freelance offers when I was actually starting to go to college. So I, I was always working plus studying at the same time. It's funny because I also did a dual studying. So I worked and and studied at the same time. And it's kind of pretty stressful at times. And having then starting, even starting with freelance work before even going to college or just starting college is pretty insane. And then as I read on your website, you actually, I think still in college years, started a B2B SaaS business that was named Officiant. How did you start with Officiant? What was the MVP like? How did you get the idea for it? And also, what is it? Sorry. (laughs) So just when I graduated, someone contacted me to to work together on on something. I don't know. I still don't know who the lead was, who like referred (laughs) me to this other person, but they contacted me to say, hey, we should work together. But it was one of the the students at at the school I was uh, studying at. So they kind of knew me. They said, okay, this guy's quite good. You should work together. So I started freelancing for them. And then one of the people who was working in that team, he said, okay, let's do something together. And instead of asking for like an hourly payment, I said, we should, I want shares. We should launch this thing together. The idea did, didn't came, come from me. It was one of the sales people at one of the bigger companies in, in Ghent and in Belgium. He they were running Team Leader and he was selling their software for them. So he contacted Willem, who was the CTO of Team Leader at the time. And he said, Okay, I know this guy, they were working together on this other project that I was freelancing for. And so that's how we started with three of us as a co founding team. Uh, so the idea didn't come from me. It came from the salesperson who was coming with the idea and needed developers. And because they all knew each other and the other developer knew me, we already got started on a on a quick basis. The good thing about Officient, which is an HR startup, was that Michiel, the sales guy, he was able to sell it to his existing customer base or through his friends or just to people he knew from his network. And he was able to sell efficient before we even started developing. So we really had like a paying customer before we even started coding. So the demand was already there and the idea was already more or less there. And he was able to sell it by saying, we're going to be one of the bigger companies and startups in Ghent. You can always say you're going to be like the pioneer customer. (laughs) So you get like bragging rights and you get to be one of the first people. So that's how he, he managed to sell it. But Officient was human resources technology startup. 
And so the problem that Michio saw and the customers that Team Leader had, which is an accounting software, was that a lot of the equipment, for example, if you run a startup like 20 to 50 or 100 people, is you don't always know which assets or documents employees have. So for example, someone at an existing company, like a startup, uh, they could say, hey, by the way, I didn't get my keyboard. And he would he could ask it again next month because nobody's really keeping track of, of all these, where, where all these equipment goes in the company. So some people might be abusing that and they would be asking, hey, by the way, I didn't receive this thing or they, they lose it or they take it home with them. If they get fired, they never, they're never able to take it back because they don't know who has what or what they actually gave. And so efficient was a way first as a way of keeping track of assets at the company, for example, like laptops, computer devices, such as keyboards or mice, even other things like bicycles, cars that they had, other software that they use, like product licenses, like Photoshop, where is everything, you know, who has access to what and where is it? And so that was the first MVP that we built. But over time, we realized that startups need to track a lot more stuff. For example, like documents, keeping track of like the payroll files, the, the pay slips, keeping track of like their insurance policies, the software license that they had, the contracts that they signed, the all the all the documents that an employee has for a startup or related to it would need to be somewhere. Usually, that would be like on a hidden email somewhere, so you would have to fetch it on, search for the employee name, and filter for a PDF, and then find it. But it's impossible to do at like scale or it would be like in a hidden inbox of some employees. So you would never be able to find it. The next step would be like using Google Drive or something. But still then you would have to filter it, find the right document name and so on. So if you had it on one platform and you could, could categorize it by employee name, you would be able to keep track of these documents a little bit quicker. And over time, we built more on top of that. So for example, you could sign contracts in, in the app. So if you hire an employee, they would get like an onboarding format. So you would you would offer a checklist. They need to sign this. They get a laptop. They get a keyboard. And that's like an extra flow that would be created automatically of things they need to do. We added signatures and then added all the other stuff, like keeping track of like the amount that they earn. For example, the payroll amount, the salary that they receive, the extra benefits, all the all the personal information that they had, their activity. If someone is asking, for example, for a raise, you don't want them to ask again in six months because if they do, you know, it's already a long time. But especially if they ask like two times in a row, they're not going to ask a third time. They're going to leave. And mm-hmm. so you want to keep track of those things that people ask or like the requests that they have. So that's an important thing that in general, like everything for HR that efficient would do. So it grew over the time. And I imagine that you guys, up to the acquisition, you guys had some phases in that journey. You all, like you had one huge benefit <laughs> compared to other people that started their uh, projects like that. Uh, you had one customer from the start, pretty much, which is awesome. But mm-hmm. how did that continue? Like you had your first customer and obviously you used that customer to to work on the software and get the features out and stuff and ask them what they need next. But you wrote that you scaled this up to 20K customers. And I can imagine that acquiring B2B customers 
usually isn't that easy. <laughs> they want if they if they come on, they always they, they pay, have a higher pay usually than B2C customers. But you have to get them there to actually order from you guys and, and stay with you guys. So can you still remember the the phases you had in that business? Like wh how did how did you go from one customer to a hundred to a thousand to twenty thousand twenty thousand? Yeah. Uh, so I would say like the first ten were all like people we, we knew. That's mm -hmm. like the, the easiest and the best way to start. I think if you start a business and in your personal environment you don't know anyone who needs it, then you shouldn't start it. That makes no sense to me. Because if you cannot say like, hey, by the way, Willem, I, you, we started a HR company and this solves exactly the problem you had with like your, your employees or something, right? And then for them, you would just do, do a demo, say, okay, let's, let's make an account right now. And then you open your laptop and you say, okay, let's type this in, set it up for them and so on. So you would be able to go in your local area, go to some people that you and say, hey, by the way, we're making this app that is helping you in your, in your business to get to manage employees. So if you know someone who, is, who has like 10 employees or more, they would be a perfect fit. So we luckily knew plenty of people in our environment who were, who were that type of customer. So we would able to reach them locally and just like go visit them, call them personally or like get referrals. So that's like the, the quickest and easiest and the best way because as they are signing into your platform you can see exactly what 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 it goes wrong or what the problem is that they're typing in and you, then you have to tell them for example okay now you have to insert all the employee data and they're ah oh, where, where is it <laughs> you know and then you say well where, where do you keep it right now and he's like it's on paper and <laughs> that's a problem you have to to solve or it's in it's in some excel file so you, the first thing that you do is, okay, we need to optimize this process of getting customer data into our platform. That was like the most important step of getting a simpler and quicker onboarding because we, otherwise we're mm -hmm. wasting time on them. To, on this, it should be like automated. So we built like a bulk importer. You, you copy paste like a CSV file. It makes all the documents from CSV to our platform. It would be a lot quicker to, to set things up right away. The next thing that we notice, like some people build, have <clears throat> existing accounting software or they have like a payroll firm that they would use and all that customer data is in that platform. So we build like integrations with these software companies to import via API or via scraping. They would, we would be able to import data from their platform, from other platforms that had this data to ours. And so the magic that we were able to create over time is that uh, you go to a new customer, they type in, they make their, you know, they set up their account, which is a simple onboarding. We ask for like, step one, what is your name? Step two, what is your company name? Step three, invite your employees. And step four is, <clears throat> let's connect your data. And then because we were like a Belgian company, we would give like three payroll firms that were common that we noticed. And over time, we added uh, plenty more, maybe like 20, 50, to, to be able to be onboarded automatically. So all they had to do is click a few things, like use the name of that other payroll accounting software, the password, and it would log in, connect, and put out its data. And so for a company who has 50 to 100 
employees, they would be able to get all that information into our platform in a few minutes. And the magic moment that we realized was like very interesting for, for them is that they were finally able to see something that they were never able to see before using other software. For example, who earns more, like men or women? Because we were able to get all the salary information into our platform, we'd be able to create less statistics and insights. So you would go like to statistics, like payroll differences, and check the, pay, uh, the, the average salary per team, uh, the average salary per country, per gender, per age, and so on. So you would be able to identify a lot of this information. We would uh, get like the calendar data, so when employees were sick or when employees took some holidays, and you would be able to see when people were um, taking, who take, takes the most time off during the year, right? You would never be able to know that about our software if it's like hidden in Excel, unless you do all this manual charting and so on, which takes forever. But they were able to see like amazing insights about their business in like minutes. I worked for a business that also wrote a lot of integration stuff. So I'm wondering right now, how do you prevent becoming completely busy with just writing the next importer, the next integration? You also mentioned that you had like 20 to 50 integrations at some point. Like that must have been a lot of work to get all of that running, right? And how do you not, how do you structure that so you're not completely only doing that anymore? You, you build over time. <laughs> There's no other way than to do it the hard way. And uh, yeah, it's it's like at that time, because it's a fast growing startup, we hired some people in the first year, like the first half, half months, because we were able to grow quickly. And the way that we did that is like annual pricing only. So if someone signs up, the minimum payment was 300. So they would have to pay monthly pricing. So every new customer, we were able to charge like three to 4K as a start. If they were a bigger company, maybe that's like a five to 10K payment right away. Just from one payment, we were able to hire an employee for a month. So all we had to do was get more employees and hire more people. Mm -hmm. Sounds simple, but <laughs> we, we hired some a marketing person who helps us with like the blog and the website and, and so on. And then one employee who was helping us with the front end. And I was right going from front-end to doing like more integrations. So I built a lot of the initial integrations myself in the beginning. And over time, we added more people to that team. So it would be like two, two or three people working on integrations full-time. You can copy a lot of data and, and code from each integration. And we would be able to, to do it quite smoothly and in, and in a way that, that makes sense. At one point, and you also mentioned it on your on your website, at one point, this team of people, not only integrations, but marketing, uh, other technolo technology people, all of the t teams combined, were at one point 30 people working full-time for this company. Isn't that, like you already explained, with the annual with the annual payments, you had some money in the bank and could afford this, right? But isn't that... Very scary going from like doing your own projects, just being you. And if something fails, it's just you that suffers to going to a team with 30 people you are kind of responsible for. How did that feel for you, this transition? It's like you you have a good team of co-founders as well. So it's not only 100% you. I think if you're trying to grow something like this, you need 
co-founders who's like busy with HR, some development. We were actually two co- CTO co-founders because it was a tech-heavy startup. The other guy was a sales, and then we managed to acquire a new co-founder later, maybe like a few months in. And he was running more as a sales and product person. But we had processes in place, so you would have like a bigger notion document of where everything is uh, processized and documented of like how everything should work. And obviously, because we were a HR setup, we had a lot of good HR tools and setups of how to, how to manage all this complexity. Um, so if someone new comes in, they would learn about the software, they would learn about like the product, how to talk to people, how to talk to customers. So it would be a very standardized way of working. But for me, I, I never really managed to take enough time off to think, think about it. It was just, okay, we need to keep building and, and growing uh, and managing all the bugs that happen all the time. So you had all of that pretty pretty much set up through processes then. And then at some point, someone approached you about acquiring that company. And at that point, you had the 20K customers already. How did they come to approach you for an acquisition? I already talked to um, Arvid in episode 10 of this podcast about his acquisition of, of Feedback Panda when he sold his business. And we talked a lot about how that felt for a founder and how you have kind of a very big transition from going to being the, the CTO in your case or the CEO and then having nothing to do afterwards with that company when after you sold it how was how did the acquisition part feel for you how did it come to be and how did it feel for you to to sell that business we had a lot of partnerships over time because for example as i mentioned the, the accounting software or payroll firms we would have built integrations for them but over time they realized like we can grow together so our software was so good after some time that there was a need for them to be able to close customers better by using our software as a white label uh, software. Mm-hmm. So instead of like us integrating and then using them as a backend, they would use us as a frontend for their accounting software. So one of these one of these accounting firms they reached out to build like a more growth scaling model of us working working together, closing customers together, doing sales together, doing marketing together, and to approach like a secondary like. We were only in Belgium, but we also wanted to scale to like Netherlands and Luxembourg, France. So we would go make a like a go-to-market plan and try to approach and an, like a partner model, like a reseller model in that way. And one of them reached out to to acquire us. We were also like talking to some people after the this this is like the third year in, right? Mm-hmm. So we already plenty of processes, good team a decent amount of funnels. So we were able to negotiate because we were like a more strategic acquisition. It's not only like you, you buy us and then as a, like a private equity model, you just buy us, you, you pump us for more ad money or something and try to scale more. We were more of a strategic play in, in that sense mm-hmm. that together with us, they were able to outcompete other competitors. So we would fetch like as a, bonus acquisition instead of only for the the amount of MRR that we had. So we were able to negotiate and then we went to different partners to say, like, okay, someone is interested. Are you interested as well? What do you expect out of it? And we had quite a bit of talking between all different types of people 
uh, who were interested in, in acquiring us potentially. So over time, we managed to get like a decent deal and we managed to make like a good offer and like a strategic plan that no, no, <clears throat> all employees stay, everyone gets like a bonus of some kind. The specific parts of how long we stay on as co-founders and so on was were all parts of the negotiation. So yeah, the, that was the how they came to us and how it was planned. But when the sale happened finally, we were like super happy. We were able to inform our team, the rest of the company, like do like public press releases to the outside world. We still had to stay on for some time, like uh, mm-hmm. a, f- a few years to do like a proper exit to, to make it a smooth uh, process and everything. But we were obviously like super safe at the time because we we were able to scale a little bit better. We were a bit more easier with like paying ourselves more because we were getting the minimum wage for those many years because all the money went into growth. We were able to uh, pay employees a little bit better and everything. So it was like a very smooth uh, transition. Yeah, so it was a good, it was good, it was a good moment in our lives because we were planning to get acquired like from the very early stages. It was like the first plan from the beginning of building the company. We were never thinking about like growing it as a way of like just earning revenue. For us, that was a bigger mission to get it to to like to be self-sustained and to be able to grow by itself and so on. So then you sold the company and you had an, a transition a transitioning phase where you still had to pe- still had to be part of the team, still went with the company after the acquisition. But then you left at some point on your website. There is a picture. I couldn't find a blog post for it, but I would have loved to read that where you said that you did a, a post-acquisition sabbatical. How did you get the idea for that? And what did you do during that time? It was around the time of COVID. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, I was just like learning kite surfing in the Canaries, where I met my uh, co-founder. So we were just taking some time off and like traveling around Europe. And then and mostly in general, just like taking a little bit of a break. But yeah, what, what I do during the time, it's more like learning like things that I wasn't able to do before, like taking more time off, like doing more exercise. Learning like kite surfing, yeah, traveling a bit more around. But yeah, just like random, random, random things. <laughs> the question was kind of uh, into the direction of: Did you already think about new projects, or did you really take time off, like real time off? But it sounds like you did. <laughs> I think I did for some time, maybe like a real time off. I think you can see it on my GitHub thread. I think a real time mm-hmm. off. Two three months, and then I was okay. I should like I never did this, and I I started building like a Flutter app or like a mobile app. <laughs> I started uh, learning about like Solidity and about tree development. I started getting more into like niche websites, marketing and AI. I just was learning, you know, things that I didn't have the time for back then. After a while, so I I still kept coding a little bit from now and then, but it was just like a few hours per day or just mm-hmm. a few hours per week that I was spending. I'm guessing that the money that you personally got from the acquisition also made you a little more independently how to choose the next product or, or how to how to go f- with your career after that point, right? Yeah, it's like you don't have to worry so much about like the next salary. Maybe you're a bit more careless about uh, spending. And yeah, you're able to plan a little bit better whatever you want to do. 
but obviously that's a big jump, right? You're spending like five dollars on on noodles for three years, and then suddenly <laughs> you're able to afford like one thousand dollar dinners. That that's not always a great thing to have as a, mm-hmm. as a as a younger person, because that money just disappears super quick. And I think now what I'm trying to do more is is also focusing more on like cash flow <laughs> and stable income, just growing the pie a little bit more and being able to invest that money into specific products or people where the goal is not like acquisition, but like more of a lifestyle way of running business. Yeah, life, lifestyle business, which is kind of a, a swear word in the VC part of, of of entrepreneurship. But I think it's really, really the, the thing that most indie hackers are aiming for. And talking about investment, I'm going a hook. I'm doing a hook there. Talking about investment, I'm not sure where in the in the time frame this is, but you also started working for first the organization Extinction Rebellion, and also you started your own climate startup called Bank Green. How when when did you start doing that, and how how are you still involved with this? Are you still part was, of Bank Green? I was running these things as well when when Fishing was being launched. For, for Fishing, like you you work nine to five, right, and then you mm-hmm. still have lots of the time. So I was <laughs> I was still even then doing like multiple things in the weekends or like in the evenings so bank green is like a way to find ethical and sustainable banks for example if you are banking at like Deutsche bank you would go on that page on, on bank green and it would say Deutsche bank is the number six in europe for fossil fuel financing and your money is being used to fund the climate crisis at an alarming rate and Deutsche bank is one of the world's biggest funders of fossil fuels and the years since the paris agreement they funneled five trillion dollars into coal oil and gas, and they're rapidly accelerating the climate crisis. So this, we would make a page like this for every single bank. And that's like mm-hmm. a way of like doing a little bit of programmatic SEO. So if you search for like Deutsche Bank climate, Bank Green would be one of the first. And then, you know, you learn how, how they are investing into fossil fuels and how that's degrading the, the climate for all of us. But and then we would recommend other banks that people would be able to switch to to say, okay, <clears throat> here are the best banks in, in, in Germany. And there, for example, like Ifig Bank, JLS Bank, Hamburger, Sparkasse, N26. We list them as like good green uh, alternatives that people can switch to. Yeah, so we, even that startup is, is started with like a few co-founders. And now they have a pretty big team. My, my friend, uh, Zach, is running that business. And I started originally coding a lot of the front end and the design and so on. So I helped them quite a lot uh, with, with running this. But now they, you know, I, I'm not so much involved anymore. They're doing like a lot of AI stuff as well now to get people to ask like climate AI stuff. So it's, it's very exciting for them. Awesome. And I also, I, I already, like I said, I checked your uh, bank green site before this and uh, the banks that are on top were all the ones that we also found when we were looking for an ethical bank. So I kind of want to recommend people check out this website right now. I think yeah, it's, it it's for, a really cool idea. every country, actually. So yeah. even if you're like banking and, and like an, where you think, oh yeah, they probably don't have any data on this, mm-hmm. uh, there's a chance that we might, you know, like Denmark or something, whatever. But yeah, we will put a link into the description of the podcast so people can check it out wherever they are. And then because we were building this startup, I, I got to know a lot of people in, in climate tech. And one of the people who 
I talked to was Luke, and he was helping Extension Rebellion with the website. And he said, hey, do you uh, want to help us rebuild it? So the Extension Rebellion, rebellion.global, like the global website, because they have a branch in every country. They're super decentralized, extremely decentralized. And they asked if, if we were able to help. And so together with a colleague, Martin, we were able to design it, develop the website, and uh, launch it in a pretty smooth way. And that website is, is now yeah, number first for, uh, I guess, Extinction Rebellion, but also other keywords like, you know, sustainable climate or climate crisis or like what is what is a way of like protesting the climate and, and so on. It's pretty awesome to be involved in that because if I check on like their X profile, they have 400,000 followers. On Facebook, they have yeah, like a few million of people. And on Instagram, they have 600K followers. So it's pretty cool because it's like massive reach, right? And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's fun to be able to build something like this. Your current project is called Magic Space. And it's something a little different to the stuff that you've done before. I, you already said that your co-founder is also here. Like, how did you get the idea for Magic Space? What is it? What's like the next step for you? We realized like a lot of startups have a great idea and they have like a great desire of like making something for themselves right because a lot of people like they they can spend years building something building something amazing and the problem is like that we see a lot is you have some such a big desire of making something of being able to live like in a, a free like being able to travel being able to be a digital nomad but the problem is you don't get customers and the best way i think to get customers on like on a regular basis that is almost free is like through SEO. You just, it's like a, like it's a equal playing field, right? The best way to get more traffic via ads is like you just spend more, right? But mm -hmm. the best, the only way to get more traffic via SEO is like make better content. <laughs> like you cannot outcompete just by spending a lot of money. But if you write a better article that is more people first, that is extra helpful, that has better infographics, you make a video, you add like good high quality pictures that are original, you write like better content for real experience, then you will be able to compete with like the big firms. And you will have actually get the visibility that you as a founder deserve. For all this time that you spend working on your business, you also want it to be seen right. So that's, I think, something as a desire that we want to help other founders achieve and that's what we're trying to do here at the magic space so what we try to offer people is like a way to get more online visibility and mm -hmm. we do that with helping them with like a strategy you know, doing like a, a ceo audits helping with like keyword research helping them with backlinks with outreach through through press releases or like writing blogs or getting like links on different websites, helping with them like free tool ideas and so on. So we do that then at a quite affordable rate. That's one of our first offers that we're trying to scale and launch that many people can get is we do like a SEO audit, which is more like a strategy plan. And they get a whole roadmap of like the best ideas specific to their business of how to do content, how to write better SEO articles, how to get backlinks, how to do all these things that will get you to rank first on Google. And that's 
a one-off plan, but otherwise we can do like a monthly or yearly subscription as someone who is able to help you almost 24-7 with SEO. So you will, you're able to ask like questions at any time, say, hey, you send like an email and ask, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm struggling with this idea or this concept. How should I approach this? And then we offer like an answer together with like your weekly or monthly roadmap, depending on like your uh, speed of working. We will be able to help you with like the next few steps every single time for what you should do that has the most impact, but takes the least amount of time. How I understand it, the character of the subscription models that you pr provide is more the character of an agency or a productized service is now the word on Twitter for that. And it's kind of growing in, in numbers, people that are doing stuff like this. What's your opinion on this? How, how are you feeling this idea is different or the model is different to, to earlier stuff like efficient? No, the productized yeah. business is great. I think that's a way that a lot of more services should approach. Because, for example, the difference that we tried in the beginning was, here's our website, here's what we do, request a proposal, contact us, make a call, uh, schedule a demo. And a lot of people say, yeah, but that's, that sounds interesting, but the conversion rate is very low and that they, they're going to be too expensive for me. Or they, they, will, you know, they will ask things that I don't know how to answer. Or I don't really want to talk to, to people. So one way to shortcut that is like being very clear on what you offer. For us, that's, for example, Okay, here's every week you'll get a content plan, you'll get keyword research, you get three high-impact ideas of how to grow your business, and you do it for the price of this, right? So it's very clear. It's like, here's the stuff that we do, here's the, here's the amount you have to pay, and here's the link to buy it. And it's, it shortcuts a lot of the, like it's a much quicker way to get your uh, service out there instead of asking for like a call, and then you do a follow-up call, and then... People are a lot more clear on what they get for what amount. So they're able to make decisions quicker. So that's a good way of, of running it. Like even as a design agency, you can either get a subscription or like a one-off package. Like here you pay like $200 to get a Figma design. Or the old way is like, yeah, contact us. We will discuss your website and you get like a custom plan. Maybe it's like a Figma, maybe it has like five prototypes, maybe it has like six. But it's it's very wishy-washy, it's not very clear. But mm -hmm. offering it as a product that people can just click and buy and they get exactly the thing that they want, it's it's a much better model, I think, that, that will be more popular. And the good thing is it's a lot easier to scale, right? Imagine you go to like a Starbucks and they say like, Okay, let's to get your drink. You need to do to do a call. Like you need to talk to us to to un mm. understand your needs. So, are you like a coffee drinker? Do you like it like dark? Do you like it with milk and so on? And okay, we decide the price. Let's see. Oh, so you can afford. So, like you look kind of rich. You're you're wearing that Louis Vuitton, whatever. <laughs> and you we will charge twelve dollars for you. Next person who comes, they will charge six dollars. So it's not super clear. But the good process about, about this is it's clear the pricing models that they, that they have. You can get a drink for this. You can get a drink for that. You pay $6, you get your drink, and that's it, and you leave. So that's a very clear model. So you want to expand it to, to more like you pay like $100, you get a backlink. You pay $100, you get like keyword ideas. You pay $50, you get uh, a new article or something. So that's a better way of like doing SEO for higher. You get like a nice menu 
of things that you, you want to get for your business. I'm really interested now because you just said that you think that scaling this is easier. But in my mind, I think the status right now is that it's just you and your co-founder, right? But how do you scale this if you get 10 customers, if you get 50 customers? Do you start hiring people for that? Do you think that's how you can scale this model like further when you have too many customers? The only way to make a valuable business is to hire other people. Otherwise, you just have a job, <laughs> right? Imagine we did all the HR at Officient. We would never mm -hmm. be able to sell it because the company would buy us, they're buying a liability. They're not buying an asset that works for them. But if you are, if you are, for example, running a design agency and you're doing all the work, the value of your business is zero because you're not able to sell it. Because if you are gone if you, or if you die or disappear, their asset that they bought is, is nothing. But if mm -hmm. you are able to scale the processes, you get hired to hire people that business suddenly is worth uh, millions, right? Because the person who buys you as a design subscription agency or like an SEO agency, they know that they're, they're buying like the processes at that company. You get a SEO plans custom to your, uh, to, to your business for this amount of money. And to, to get those plans, you need this amount of employees working there. And these employees, they make keyword research And then you write out all the systems for doing that research. For example, uh, here's the employee manual for doing keyword research. You, you open SEMrush, you open uh, Ahrefs, you, do, you type these things in, you look at the competitor's backlink guide. You do, you do these things. Here's the websites that we contact. Here's the things that you do. And so that's a lot of things that we, you would buy as a, as a buyer as well. You buy the systems, not only the people. You buy like the whole asset, the funnels, the sales strategies, the marketing, the inbound marketing strategies. If you buy the website, you buy the social media and so on, right? So that's uh, everything all included in the, into the price. And how do you approach people for using Magic Space? How do you market this product? For us, it's mostly word of mouth right now because mm -hmm. we're still figuring out more of the the offers that we want to provide. So the, the CEO plans are one of the first ones. So our plan right now is do a few ones for free, get, get these people to to tweet their public SEO report, which is going to be amazing. And then we make it as good as possible. And then we get like extra traffic on Twitter on other, other areas. And that's like word of mouth, right? The other side is that every report has like a link that is a referral. And if you refer someone, you will get 20%. So if someone buys like a strategy plan from us, which is worth maybe like 5,000 per year, you would just get $500 in your pocket like right away. And that's a way of people recommending us to other businesses. And that's how we would plan to grow like word of mouth first, because the, easy, the easier way of word of mouth is like, there's no shortcut except building a great business and building like good products that work and help people because you cannot hack it. There's no, there's no secret way of getting referrals if you do shitty work. So all you have to do <laughs> is make great work. And to do that, you need good employees and good processes. Regarding SEO then, for example, as one of the services you guys provide, what's like the beginner biggest tip for people who have completely unranked sites have never actually done any seo work how we, how can we even start the process 
of getting better with that as someone who doesn't really know much about SEO. I think you need to make sure that your initial pages are good. And mm -hmm. I get a lot of people asking for like an SEO audit or SEO work. And they say, I want to rank, for example, for something like design agency, right? Or like design subscription or something, right? But the problem is they, they never use that term on their website. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you're not able to rank for these things if you don't actually use the, the, the words on your website. So yeah, make sure that you're using the words that you're trying to rank for. That's uh, one step. Make a specific page for the keywords. Otherwise, for example, if, if you are magic space and we're doing SEO work, the first page would be like a SEO agency. That's like your most high impact keyword for that. But the other pages you would do is cheap keyword research or something, right? Mm -hmm. Or like a SEO strategy or something. So you would make pages and use the title as that, as that page. For example, if you're making like a chat GPT website, you know what I mean, right? Like a chat GPT mm -hmm. bot on your website. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, like that would be your key term, like chat GPT bot on your website. And the sub pages would be like chat GPT for Shopify. So you need to you make a page uh, for that keyword that is like better than all the other pages on the top 10 of Google. But you have to be super genuine about it, right? You have to mm -hmm. really think, is this page actually better than all the other top 10, top 20 pages on Google? And that's a good benchmark to try to aim for. Add videos, add, add pictures, make it helpful. Don't use AI, make it like for them, use the, use the keywords that you're trying to rank for be helpful, make a step, add an FAQ, add like an infographic or like some images to relate to that concept. Add like existing customers who are using Shopify with ChatGPT on your page, add like case studies, link to deeper pages related to those keywords. For example, ChatGPT Shopify, you would create pages, for example, like how to add ChatGPT to Shopify, how can ChatGPT for Shopify help your business? E-commerce yeah. customer service templates or like Shopify response templates or, yeah, and, and so on. And then you link those pages that are like the third level deep back to your second page, which is about ChatGPT for uh, Shopify. And so you have like a page that is like the master page and then you have sub pages for those specific deeper topics. And then you link them all back together, making the first page stronger, right? And that's a, an easy way, like just make it super clear for your top keywords, what, what your website is about, and then make it like super high quality of like videos, images, and, and everything that, that you've honestly, generally think is better. And for blog posts, that's a similar, similar idea. If you're trying to rank for like the best ChatGPT bots 2023 or something, you have to make that article better than the other ones add videos, make a little tutorial or images for each tool, add a pro and con list. So the, a good benchmark is, would you actually share this article with a friend if they're asking for that keyword? If, you, if someone asks, hey, do you know, by the way, what are the best 10 tools for AI marketing? Would you send your own article or is it just like random crap that AI wrote for you? Because most of the articles were written with AI, you would never share with a friend because deep down they're, they're just shit, right? So you have to make it really good. I love that you answered that question in that way because I have another question that like pipes right into that, which is 
I read somewhere that Google actually has trouble with their search, search results because SEO is kind of pushing past the actual answers of, of questions of people that people have and Googling stuff. What role should SEO play? Should it be just to rank your own site? Or like you already said, it should be about great content, right? Yeah, I think <clears throat> what, what Google is trying to reward is like uh, high quality people first content. So mm -hmm. If you're typing in like best AI tools, what someone is looking for is like to make a pur purchase decision for that page. So you don't want to write about like, like why do you need AI or something? Because that makes no sense for that page because that person already decided that they need AI and just they're looking for the best tools. So you need to fit like your intent of the thing that you're looking for. A lot of people, if, if, the, if, the, if the search doesn't match exactly the content on that page, Over time, it should like find a mismatch and, and derank mm -hmm. over time. And that's what happened with like the helpful content update last month that a lot of niche sites suddenly lost like almost all their traffic from like 100k per month to like zero. And that's because they were not really helpful. They were copying content from other websites, putting it in, on their website, paraphrasing it a little bit, and then trying to rank it. But over time, Google saw that it's not really helpful because it's like copy-pasted from somewhere else. Well, it's really trying to be optimized for the specific page. Probably what a lot of people are doing is like like best CMS, content management system. So someone would type in best CMS, right? But you know, probably the first few pages are not really good. So you would type in best CMS Reddit to find what, what do actual people think about this? And then they started promoting like all these LinkedIn and Reddit articles on the search about like Reddit. So best CMS would show a lot of Reddit pages. But mm -hmm. obviously a lot of SEO people realized, okay, now I just spam like Reddit with all my content and target all these keywords. And now it's again turned to turn to shit, right? And so <laughs> that's a problem. It's always like, yeah, it's always like a battle somehow. It's amazing, but it's, but, but it's still cool to hear that having great quality content actually works with mm -hmm. SEO, obviously. Thank you for that. We have two finishing questions for all of our uh, guests. Uh, the first one is, what are you excited about right now? And that can be either technology or work-related or completely not. I think um, I'm excited to grow Magic Space a little bit more and to implement a lot of these processes. So in the beginning, we were working a lot more like on ad hoc ideas like doing this for for this person but trying to systematize it and plan it and you as an entrepreneur it's it's your work but it's also about yourself right and so i'm trying to implement more plans and systems into my own life and that's like your business is a little bit of a reflection of yourself so mm -hmm. if your business is chaos and you don't know where all the tools are or who ordered what or what 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 next steps are that kind of reflects on you I kind of think that you're a very much more structured person than I am. <laughs> kind of, kind of get the vibe, yeah, but I'm that's not a bad thing for you. I'm definitely a horrible planner. Uh, <laughs> I appear to be. I appear to be, but I'm trying to implement it because I realize how important this is. Uh, so it, it, these things take time. Yeah, you have to yeah. you know, be honest and try to structure it a bit more. But it's the when... indie hackers as well, right? We have like so many amazing ideas, so little time. And uh, there's always like a shiny new thing just around the corner. <laughs> Ignore everything, focus on one thing. <laughs> and that's so hard. 
maybe that's the the answer for the next question, which is the last one. What's one lesson or advice you would give someone that's just starting out with indie hacking? Yeah, just try to focus on one thing. I think that yeah. I think that's right. <laughs> yeah, I see, I see like some people on Twitter, they have like five projects in their bio, and I'm I'm like when I send a DM to to offer like some something, and it's okay, but what is actually the thing that makes you money, right? You should focus on that and just do it more. I, I'm all, I'm also a victim of this. <laughs> I'm like, okay, AI thing that's new. I should do this, and then over time you realize, okay, but now I don't have time for the other thing that takes money. So now you know, I, I recently shut down a few projects. Cast push. I just made a blog post, and then I redirected the remainder of the blog post, which is now like an affiliate link for Typefully and TweetHunter. <laughs> <laughs> Stove note. I just redirected to my own website. Some other ideas. They're just like redirecting to my old website i'm okay you never had real people let's just cancel it focus on on the agency instead i'm kind of trying to do this myself right now so i think that's very good advice thank you for being here elias i think we got a lot of value out of this for our listeners and thank you for taking the time to come on as a guest where can people find you your co-founder and your product on the internet yeah you can visit magicspace.ae and then you will probably find the link in the show notes below. Yes. Perfect. Thank you for being here, Elias. And yeah, have a nice day. See ya. Bye. Bye. And that's our episode. Thank you for sticking with us to the end. You can find Elias on Twitter with the username Iliism. That's I-L-L-Y-I-S-M. You can find links to his products there as well. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. We're always happy to hear feedback. If you're building an indie hacker business yourself and want to be part of the show, we are really happy to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter with the username Iceberlabs, that's I-C-E-B-E-A-R-L-A-B-S, or send me a mail to Tobias at Iceberlabs.com. And you can also now find this podcast on Twitter with the handle CodeConquerPod. We also have a website you can check out. We're posting articles about the biggest learnings of each episode there as well. Go to codeandconquer.fm to find out more. If you're one of the people who listens to this podcast on either the Apple Podcast platform or Spotify, please consider rating our show. It lets other people discover this podcast and helps us grow this even bigger. Thank you so much. Till next time.